God is Stranger is our message series that we just started last week, and we're going to be continuing for a few weeks. And it's going to be like 12 weeks, guys. I don't know if you know this. And we kind of hinted at that. It's going to be a really long series. I don't know if we've done a series this long before. I promise you, listen, I promise you, you won't be bored. Okay? You might get bored with that video, but you will not be bored with what, the, what we cover in this book. And last week, Pastor Steve, he combed through the, the creation story, Adam and the stranger in the book of Genesis. And we're going to be hanging out in the book of Genesis. And if you don't know, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And it really should come as no surprise to us as we look into the book of Genesis because there is such a distance between our lives here now and the lives of the people that lived as described in the book of, of Genesis. There's so much time in between us. And there's such a far off place and far off people and far off culture that just as, as a default, this is going to be a little strange. To, there are going to be parts of this that are going to be a little bit strange to us. Now, but here's the awesome thing, and this is what we're going to find every single week in this series, in the, in the scriptures that we cover, is that we'll find God and God's role interacting with these people is such a far off place, and we're, we're going to identify with something. Like we're, it's going to speak to us in some way. Isn't that amazing? Such a far off people, place, culture, language, everything, and yet somehow God speaks through their witness to us through these scriptures. It is fascinating to see how it does. But it doesn't come without a little bit of tension and wrestling and struggling and some weird, just be honest, some weird parts of the Bible. And last week, Pastor Steve talked about how there's these highlighted sections that we kind of stay nice and safe in when it comes to the scriptures. But we're going to kind of put aside, gently set aside, we're not going to like erase them, but we're going to gently set aside those highlighted versions and we're going to go into the tough stuff. Because even in that, I think God can speak to us and, and form and shape how we view not only God, but ourselves, and more importantly, how we are to be in relationship with God. And so today's scripture, we're going to be talking about Adam, or Abraham and the stranger, and it's going um, to have a lot to do with a cultural value that is not, we're a little familiar with, but not in the same way as those people in that time and place did. There was a high cultural value on specifically two things in that time and place. Shame, and you find this littered throughout the scriptures, shame and honor and the interaction between shame and honor, but also hospitality, hospitality. There is a huge value on hospitality, and some of it is just common sense and natural for how life worked in that time and place. The economy, the, the commerce of that area relied heavily on hospitality. Traders from one place taking their goods from one place to the next and then traveling back. But it's not like there were hotels or inns or Airbnbs. There wasn't those little nice little cabins in the back of the semi-trucks. I've never seen one before. I'm always curious what those things look like. They didn't have any of those accommodations. The, 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 the economy of that time and that place relied heavily on the open hospitality of people living along those byways and highways. It was central. And so God's role in that is that 
he begins to interact with that, that cultural value and takes it completely to a whole other, other level. And what we find is that God, as God is developing the nation of Israel, and we'll get to some of those parts um, in the, in, in, later on in this series, but as God interacts in forming the, the, the nation of Israel, there are deliberate uh, rules and, and regulations specifically for the hosp- hospitality of the stranger. Now, in ancient Hebrew, there's the word, it is G-E-R, it's our transliteration, but the ger is the, is the name of the, of the stranger or the alien. And it generally means two specific kinds of people. First, someone that is of a different ethnicity. Let that preach a little bit. Also, someone who is in a particularly vulnerable situation. So many times the orphans and the widows are described in the same way as someone who is in a particularly vulnerable situation is in need of some kind of hospitality. Hospitality is huge in the scriptures for those people and in that time and place. It's so funny how this works out, um, and God has a sense of humor with me. It was just this week that I was actually the recipient of someone's hospitality. I was invited to come along to a conference, and I thought the whole time, I, it was, I, late, I learned later on that the details of this conference were intentionally concealed so that I would just not know what I was doing. And... I thought I was staying in a hotel, and they told me it was free, so I'm like, okay, why not? And so I thought I was staying in a hotel and the whole thing, and I found out late in the game, like on the way, we were actually going to be staying with a, a host family. And so we were hosted and greeted by uh, Jim and Marty. Uh, Jim and Marty uh, were members of this church that our conference, uh, that was, where the conference was being held. Long, uh, you know, members, but not long-time members, they were they were in their 70s, but they had not been to the church a, a, a real long time. In fact, it wasn't until later in life when God started to really stir in their hearts and um, they uh, awakened to that and started to take notice of what God was doing. And they have found their way at, at this church. And I asked them, so what, what is it about the church that you, that you love? And, and Marty spoke up and she just went on about how she's just learning so much. She, ta- she was talking like, like she was a teenager in youth group. I'm just learning so much. It was really incredible to hear. But they opened up their home to me and my friend, complete strangers, opened up their home for, for uh, three days and just allowed us to have our own beds and just welcomed us like we were a part of the family. It was remarkable to see, but this was something that this particular church was, um, was taking very seriously. So we're gonna go in Genesis uh, chapter 18, if you would like to, to open up to your own Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pews. And if you don't have one at home, just take it with you. We'd love for you to have a Bible. But uh, in Genesis 18, we, we find this high value of hospitality at work, but a little a little tip when it comes to reading the Old Testament narratives, and you you know what I mean by narratives. This sort of a narrative is a a sort of a story that we follow along that's being described to us. In the Old Testament narratives, um, one of the tricks of the trade is that oftentimes they 
are moving at a rapid pace from one event to the next or one occasion to the next. But if the story starts to slow down, where it starts to cover a little bit of detail, where it starts to go into dialogue, when the story starts to slow down and concentrate itself on one particular thing, that's signaling, signaling to us that we should be paying attention to this. Something significant is happening. And this is the case that we find in Genesis chapter 18. And it begins like this. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. Now, this was the custom of that day. Travelers would come at a, at a seeable distance, would stand and wait until they are received by the host of that particular home. And so Abraham, and what we'll find out is that these three men are actually the Lord. And what's really strange, if you follow this story, it's fascinating. What it's really strange that sometimes it says the Lord that's speaking, and sometimes it says men that are speaking, and later, which we'll find, it talks about angels that are speaking. So we have sort of this confusing little mishmash of, okay, who is this? Who, who's talking? And I think it's important just to, just to rest in, it's the Lord. That's the, even if it's like a direct representation of the Lord's presence or if it's the, uh, the Lord himself, we get this idea signaling to us that the Lord is there in the form of these three men. Now this was, no, uh, this was not a strange thing for, for Abraham. And if you know the story of Abraham, you know that he did a little traveling hims himself uh, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, who was called Abram at the time, was called out by God, and he was a, a polytheistic man living in the land of Ur. You are the land of Ur. And God calls to him in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and says, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he says, uproot yourself, your family, everything that you know, I want you to leave, and then I'm going to show you where you're going to go. So he's not telling Abram where he wants him to go. Now, for those of you that love to be in control and love to make lists and love to plan, just imagine yourself in this position where God says, I want you to uproot your whole life and just start walking and don't worry, I'll show you the way as you go along. Can you feel the anxiety rising up within you in this moment? And then he gives them a reason. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so God asks Abram to move to uproot, but gives him a word of promise. And there's a lot of stories in between chapter 12 of Genesis and chapter 18, and you can read those, some very interesting, other fascinating types of things. Even if you feel like you've read it before, go back. It's always funny how something new will emerge as you read it. So Abraham receives these travelers, and we don't know if he sees the Lord's presence in these travelers or if he's just exercising radical hospitality. 
but he brings them in and he gives them the royal treatment. And scholars have indicated that if he were to give a lamb or a goat or something else to provide for these travelers, that would have been a wonderful gesture of hospitality. But instead he goes, he says, find a choice calf and kill it so that we can serve our guests to the highest honor. This was royal treatment that Abraham is extending to these travelers. I, I was a missionary for a while in Haiti. I've mentioned this before, but every so often I get these different memories of my time there. There was lots of different experiences. But one that came to mind was when I was invited to a home of a widow who had several kids who was just making ends meet. She had a very modest and humble home, but I was invited. I don't know why I was invited. I can't even remember the circumstances, but I remember it being sort of a wild um, set of circumstances that how I was invited. And I remember being welcomed into the home, sat down at the only table in the house, and having this dialogue with an interpreter there and just so warmly received by this woman. I was served food. I was served a special drink that they make in Haiti around the holiday time called cremas. I didn't realize till after that it was, had lots of rum in it, but whatever. <clears throat> I thanked her. And we had a nice conversation, and I prayed with her. And I left, and... You know, we don't have these memories and these stories um, when we are expected to be welcomed into a particular house. Like if we're heading over to our parents' house to raid their refrigerator, I'm speaking out of my own experience here. We kind of expect that sort of hospitality, but when you are welcomed into a house where you find yourself really have no business being in, somehow it leaves a bigger impact on us. In those circumstances, we begin to feel and experience and realize the power, power of hospitality. In Hebrews chapter 13, it speaks to this power. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That somehow and strangely, the Lord is in this act, this practice of hospitality. Hospitality requires a, a couple of things. And there's lots of different kinds of ways to host or be hospitable from one person to the next, and especially to the stranger. But there are two things that, that jump out to me. And the first is that if you're going to practice hospitality, you have to give something of yourself and share it. There are shareable things, things that you possess and you're sharing it, you're giving it away. And so there's generosity in that. But the other is that you're letting someone into your personal space, into your home. And so you have to exercise a, a, some form of vulnerability. And that's what makes it so powerful. Generosity combined with vulnerability bring those two together and you get this powerful, powerful act of hospitality and we'll see how that works. 
Our culture, though, I don't know, as I've experienced so many different cultures that value hospitality, as I read about the high value of hospitality in the scriptures, I don't quite see this same sort of thing in our own culture. And I'm speaking broadly here and in, in, in general terms, but I find that people are looking for other kinds of spaces to connect. They're not necessarily, they're reducing the amount of generosity and reducing the amount of vulnerability. What we find in our society is that people are meeting more in these public spaces where they don't have to provide something for themselves, where they don't have to let people into those personal spaces. The way we connect with one another, people more and more are relying on things like social media, which are designed to make it easier and more distant from one another. Let's be honest. I can control when I respond to that text. Sorry, honey. I can control the distance. What happens when someone shows up at your doorstep? A sales you know, uh, call or whatever. We, fu- we suddenly are, have to deal with it, right? We don't have the control of, we, we actually have to speak to that person. We, don't, we can't control that. And so we've designed things in a certain way. Our last home, we um, were living in a community that was just sort of up and coming. A lot of people were moving in because uh, children of farmers were inheriting the, the land and they didn't want to farm and so they were just, they were selling off the land to developers. You know how this works, right? And so all of these new communities and new homes were, were being uh, brought up. Would you believe that in all of these new communities, this brand new, they were designing it for the, co- the current culture, not a single sidewalk. Not a single sidewalk. It was precisely designed, the homes were spaced precisely so that there is distance between one person and the next. You could very well not interact with your neighbors in these new neighborhoods according to the design that they've made for them. And so we, as a culture, we don't, quite have this same sense of hospitality, do we? We don't have the same sense of of welcoming people into our personal spaces. We don't have that same value of generosity that goes into it in the way that we read here. But, listen, I still think that hospitality has its place. And I still believe that God is calling us to be a people of hospitality, that there's power in that. Now, in this story, in in, in Genesis chapter 18, these particular travelers are bringing a word, and specifically a word of promise. It's a word of promise that comes off of the promise that was given in Genesis chapter 12. And so they declare to Abraham, they say, where's your wife Sarah? And he said, oh, she's in the, she's in the tent. And then they say, they declare the promise that she is going to be having a child. Now, they're really late in age, which is another interesting theme in this particular story. And Abraham, in general, he had to be uprooted at such a a late age. But now there's this word of promise that Sarah's going to give birth to a child, and she just laughs. She overhears this from the front of the tent, and she just laughs. (laughs) And the angels hear and say, why do you laugh? Isn't anything possible for the Lord? And then she says, it's a funny little dialogue. She said, I did not laugh. And said, yes, you did laugh. When you read it in the scripture, it kind of sounds funny. I didn't laugh. 
this word of promise that the Lord was bringing to them. The Lord had arrived unannounced, uninvited, completely out of nowhere, and was giving a word of promise. And she just, <laughs> she just, she just couldn't believe it. And so in this, we, we find a little progression here that there's a, a, a divine visitation, and that divine visitation is met with hospitality. Then out of that hospitality, we have a word of promise from God, but then, even in this word of promise, we have a crisis of faith. Put a little bookmark in that chart. All right, now, we're gonna move on to another story about hospitality. And this is where it gets a little tough. Gets a little bit difficult. The travelers indicate and declare to Abraham that they are on their way to address an outcry. They just say it's an outcry. To address an outcry of the people of two places, Sodom and Gomorrah. And what we find next is fascinating because Abraham is traveling with, with them on their way to Sodom. And this just doesn't sit right with Abraham. And so what we find is this little negotiation happening. And Abraham was actually a wealthy person. You can see his business acumen coming out in this. He says, well, are you really? He appeals to, to, to the justice of God. Are, are you really going to to sweep up the righteous with the unrighteous. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Lord, it doesn't make sense that bad things happen to good people. Let's say God, oh, I don't know. Let's say there's 50 righteous people. I mean, would you, would you spare the, the city for 50 righteous people? And the Lord says, okay. All right, Abraham, I'll play this game. I will spare the entire city if I can find 50 righteous people. And then he says, well, but if it's 50 then, what if only five of those 50 just, you know, were, were unrighteous? I mean, it's just five people. So what, what, what about in that case? And the Lord says, okay, if there's 45, then I'll spare the city. And he says, okay, don't get mad at me here. <laughs> but what if there was 40 righteous people? Would you spare? okay. I'll spare the city if there's 40 righteous people. And then each time he says, please don't be mad at me. <laughs> but what if there's 30? I mean, 30 people, right? Okay, 30 people. Well, God, if it's 30, I mean, how about 20? And so it goes all the way down. And God makes this promise. If you can find, I think it ends with 10. If you can find 10 righteous men then um, then we'll spare the entire city. And so Abraham leaves, he goes back to his home, and now we have two angels <laughs> that arrive to Sodom, and they're greeted by Abraham's nephew, Lot. And Lot brings them in, uh, convinces them not to stay in the town square, says, come and stay with my home, and he hosts them and gives them, them a feast and practices wonderful hospitality. And this is where it gets tough. I'm gonna read it for you. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. The word know is a euphemism for sex. 
Lot went out of the door to the men, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Look, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. All right. What in the world do we do with this? It turns out that the men don't want the, the daughters. They want the, the men. And so they press in. They're ready to beat the door down. But the angels strike all of the men with blindness. And they can't find the door. And the scene is, is over. But notice that it says every single man, young and old. Remember the negotiation with Abraham. Every single man, young and old. All right, so what do we... What do we do with this? What do we do with this? Uh, Just as a side note, this story is often quoted in the midst of conversation, I'll just say conversation, around human sexuality. And the Bible does speak about human sexuality. It does speak about marriage, and that's worth a conversation. I'd love to have that conversation with you. But this particular story really is a bad reference when it comes to that conversation about human sexuality. So what do we do then with the tough part where Lot offers his daughters? Not exactly a cultural value that we share today. He doesn't seem to have a problem with it. And then that, I'll just offer a rule of thumb. To be careful what, when Scripture, be careful with what Scripture is describing versus prescribing. There's a difference between what is being described and what is being prescribed for us to take hold of and onto today. And so what we find in Lot offering his two daughters is a description with no endorsement, no allowance from God. It simply is. And so it is a part of the story. But what we find in this tragic, tragic story is that what Lot really values is hospitality. Do this just so that you don't violate the men that I have brought into my home as visitors. And so in this, we also see a progression we see a divine invitation, a visitation, followed by inhospitality by the men of Sodom, a word of destruction as, a pro, as opposed to a word of promise, and then followed by a crisis of faith. And the crisis of faith is what Abraham struggled with. He had such a hard time seeing what God was doing in that moment. And if we look at the two progressions side by side, visitation, hospitality, inhospitality, word of promise, word of destruction, we have a commonality at the bottom, a crisis of faith. I mentioned last week that I have been on quite a journey personally struggling with my, my faith. And I was open with you about that several months ago. 
In some ways, I don't even know how I can explain to you what God has been doing in my heart and in my life. But what I didn't realize in the midst of my wrestling with faith, what I didn't realize in the struggles of even believing in God, much less believing in Jesus and believing uh, the church, the things we sang about, that I thought that this was an, an attack on my faith, and what I didn't realize is that, that God was in the midst of it, that God was taking me through from one place to the next. And I allowed myself, and you as a church allowed me to be hospitable to that crisis. Because without the crisis, you don't have the word. Whether it be a word of promise or a word of destruction. And when I say destruction, I don't say that lightly. Those types of stories are really difficult to wrestle with, okay? But let's just, let's make it a little bit more palatable in saying that God is doing something about the injustice, not only in this world, but also in our own hearts. Can we say that? And so, if I didn't welcome the crisis, I wasn't gonna welcome the word that God was bringing to me. And so, we're left sometimes with this, with this tension. Chris Kandaya, in his book, he says, he says, this tension between the God we think we know and love and the God we don't yet know but want to trust is an ongoing one, this side of eternity. The dissonance we feel should drive the urgency and the intensity of our prayers. It drives more seeking, more knocking, more asking, more looking up, more asking questions, more conversations. And then he goes on to say that these three tensions of a God who calls us to things yet then seems to make it harder to achieve them, a God who pursues judgment yet wants to plead for mercy, and a God whom we get to know even as we recognize our lack of understanding must impact, must impact the way we respond to the lordship of God in our lives. In other words... There are things that we are not going to be able to understand or plan or control if God truly is in charge of our lives. That if God is the Lord of our lives, we are simply the passengers. And God is leading the way. In many ways, we are like Abraham or Abram at the time who says, get up, I want you to go. Where are we going? I'll tell you later because I don't want you to make the itinerary. And what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to be hospitable to this kind of work of God in our hearts, in our lives, where we're not controlled, where we're not in control, where we're not planning, where we're not anticipating, where we're not expecting? And how many times have we built a faith, structured a faith, where it's exactly what we think we already know, everything that we've already planned and that the actions of God that we're open to are the ones that we've asked God to come and be a part of. 
How many times have we structured a faith and a belief system where actually we're the ones kind of driving it? But what does it look like for God to be completely on the throne of our hearts and our lives? Let me tell you that that is not a comfortable place to be. It does not bring the health and the wealth and the success and the promise that that we think that we should have. But as God invites us, as as, as we invite God, as we are hospitable to, to the work of God in us, we are reminded, oh yeah, you know it was God after all that has been hospitable to us. After all, we are the gur, we are the stranger, the alien. We are the one distanced from God and it is the great and loving and gracious and magnificent hospitality of God to let us in. It is the generosity of God to give out and it is the the graciousness of God to let us in closer. Can you imagine that? The Lord is hospitable to us. So I just invite you to to be open to practicing hospitality and maybe the hospitality that comes in the form of other people and how the Lord might be in that. But beyond that, to be hospitable to what God is saying to you, the words that he's speaking into your heart and your life, not a prayer or a word that we have made up for ourselves that really make up for a really cozy life, but truly whatever the Lord wants. I remember Jesus praying this prayer before he went to be betrayed, tried, and crucified. He said, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. So let's that, let that be our prayer today. Let's, let's pray together. Holy God, we open up our hearts and our lives to you, even if it means we're gonna be uncomfortable, even if it means that it's different than what we have previously seen or believed to be true. Lord, we come before you in full openness for your spirit to enter in, to speak your words to us. And if our response, Lord, is a crisis of faith, Perhaps we'll know, Lord, then it is you. Visit us and give us strength in the midst of that crisis that we, by your grace, can grow closer to you and be called according to your purpose. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so people of God, as you go out, go without any planning, without the structure, leave all of that behind. Go as children of God, waiting to be spoken to, to be guided, and to be led. In his name, amen. You're dismissed.